You've tuned in to the Get Connected podcast with Mike Agarbo and John Beeler. We've got a great program for you today. We'll be talking with the Open Table people. That's the reservation uh, app for restaurants. They're going to be helping them with uh, navigating the COVID-19 passport system. We'll also be chatting with Victor Lucas, our uh, friend from the Electric Playground, about the death of gaming stores like Electronic Boutique and GameStop. Where will they be in five, ten years? Are they going to go the way of the Dodo like the record stores? We'll get his perspective. And a little bit about NFTs. We've got a great guest. Uh, his name is Shlomo Rabinovitz out of Portland, Oregon. He's an artist enabler and NFT specialist, and he's going to be telling us about a new type of NFT and uh, how you might be able to make some money. It's time to get connected. We have a great show. And of course, Get Connected is all about the world of technology in the digital age. We try to keep it uh, fun and exciting, inspiring and simple. We'll be talking with the folks over at Open Table. That's the uh, restaurant uh, reservation app. And uh, they're working with restaurants to help verify those people that uh, are vaccinated to make it easier for the restaurants to deal with uh, folks coming and dining. We're also going to talk about retail game stores. Do you remember record stores? Sure. Well, they're not around anymore so much. Well, that's happening to game stores. We'll be talking with Victor Lucas about uh, how long that's going to take and what uh, they might be able to do to save themselves. Yeah. And NFTs. Are they still a thing? Well, we've got a great guest on the line out of Portland, Oregon. His name's Shlomo Rabinovitz, and he is still uh, making some good coin minting NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And we'll explain what that all means again for <laughs> the folks that didn't get it uh, the first time. But let's look at some of the uh, the tech news uh, this week, uh, John. Lots going on. Uh, a lot of people are excited about the new Matrix movie coming out. Myself included. Yes. Keanu Reeves. That was a, a groundbreaking film back in the 90s. And they had two sequels that were not as warmly received. But for the Matrix fans, yeah, still love them. Yeah. it's It's hard to live up to the hype of the first one well a new one's coming out that brings back keanu reeves it's almost like a reset almost called uh, the matrix resurrections and they have a really interesting website john that we've uh, just been glued to yeah this is a website where you go there to watch a teaser for the for the film and they've done some really interesting things first of all you have to choose a red pill or a blue pill. And if you watch the, the first movie, you'll know what that means. Yeah. That's, that basically determines if you go into the Matrix or not. Yes. Yes. But what really surprised us, though, is as we're watching it, there's a narrator explaining things, talking about stuff. He mentions the time, and it's actually the time that you're watching it. Yeah. And apparently there's over 180,000 different versions of this teaser that'll be shown depending on when you go in to look at it, your computer, your location, a whole bunch of other things that probably help contribute to decide what version of the teaser you're going to see. And there's a lot of versions of this. Yeah. Yeah. Almost 200,000 different versions. And these are just like small clips, but it's all woven together seamlessly and beautifully. And if you've ever watched these movies, you know they put a lot of attention and care into the filmmaking process. And they've done that even with the teaser for it. Check it out. Uh, We've talked about cashierless stores and Amazon's leading the way. Uh, I've been to the ones down in Seattle. They've got their Amazon Go stores. Well, uh, in the past few years, uh, Amazon's been on a tear. They bought Whole Foods and it looks like they're going to be 
bringing this concept, they call it just walk out tech. Basically, you sign in when you go into the store with your Amazon account and then do all your grocery shopping and you just walk out. You don't even see a cashier or self-checkout. I just, I, I don't know how that's going to work in a Whole Foods when you're like getting celery. I don't know. And meats and, yeah. and stuff. Well, they're testing this out in a couple stores uh, in Washington, D.C. and Sherman Oaks, California. This is going to be starting next uh, year. But that is a whole other level. Like the Amazon Go stores are like little convenience stores. Yeah. They're pretty cool. They're well stocked. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of look like something you'd see at the airport, though. Like very small, very compact. Yeah. Whole Foods is a whole other ball game. Like it's yeah. huge. Yeah. So whatever magic that they had to cram into these little Amazon Go stores to have, you know, cashierless checkout. They have to have that over the entire store. There's like, you know, that could be like 10, 20,000 square feet. Well, I also wonder if these stores might not be the same kind of Whole Foods stores and they might reconfigure how the store is laid out to accommodate this type of tech better. So how it's going to work is shoppers can opt in to use this technology when they enter the store by scanning an app or inserting a debit card linked to their Amazon account. Uh, or by placing their palm over one of the palm scanning systems. They have that too. Like you can scan your palm and have it registered with Amazon. Why would you want to do that though in the age of COVID? Well, hopefully they clean them. <laughs> I'm hoping. I hope so too. Uh, unions aren't happy about this. No, because it's going to affect a number of staff. I mean, the thing is there still need to be people in the store to, to stock the shelves until they get robots to do that. Totally. So Amazon saying that they will employ a comparable number of team members as existing Whole Foods stores of similar sizes. Yeah. But yeah, cashiers are gone, right? But we're seeing that now, John. Like you go into a Walmart, yeah. like more than half people are, are using the self-checkouts. Yeah. They've programmed us to not want human help anymore. Well, they'll have one or two people there sort of helping right? yeah. and dealing with coupons and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, but, but you know, Amazon's saying too that this will free up those employees that would normally be stuck behind a till to help you in the store, but also to like restock stuff, you know, keep the store clean, that type of thing. But to your point, the robots are coming, right? Yeah, it seems inevitable. Yes, so those robots eventually be able to stock the stores. It's kind of ironic. We just talked about the matrix. <laughs> what else we got in the news there, uh, John? Uh, lots of tech news happening here. TikTok, we talk a lot about TikTok. You're a TikTok enthusiast. This is a uh, a video streaming app, kind of like YouTube, but short bites, like 10 seconds to 20 seconds. Yeah, um, you can get up to three minute long videos now. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it just has one of the best algorithms for figuring out what you actually like and just basically fire hoses it at you. I've started using it. It is addictive. Like, yeah. cause you just, you watch one video and then you swipe up and there's another video. Yeah. And it, it's spooky how good it is figuring out what you like. Yeah. Like if you're into sailboats or pets, like your video stream will just be continually updated. Like I, I get lost in it. Like sometimes I'll be sitting on the couch and half an hour will go by watching these stupid little videos. But there's lots of interesting stuff there. We even have our own TikTok channel for well, our, Yeah. Ours are good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll walk that, that stupid comment back. Uh, but they are outpacing YouTube now in some ways. Yeah, they're just the sheer amount of actual watch time on these videos. And it's easy to see why. It's much smaller bite-sized content. 
but you're able to consume so much of it quicker as opposed to watching, say, a 10-minute YouTube video, for example. Uh, we create a lot of videos at Get Connected, and we can see the stats where people might watch you know, the first few minutes of it, they get what they need from the video, and then they move on to another one. With TikTok, the engagement t- tends to stay for the duration because the algorithm is so good at feeding you what you want. Yeah. Well, if you haven't tried out TikTok, you got to download it and uh, test it uh, out. Uh, and quickly, uh, on other news, uh, Segway, they're coming out with a new robot lawnmower called the Navimo. And, you know, I've talked about this, John. I have a Husqvarna automower yep. that I'm in love with. Yep. It's changed my life. But to make auto robot mowers work, typically you have to have a wire laid down, you know, a few inches underground around the perimeter of your yard and around places where you don't want the mower to actually mow. And so that keeps it in the boundary yeah, and safe. Um, but Segway is saying now they don't need that because it's going to work with GPS and it's so accurate. Its accuracy is within two centimeters. That's impressive. It is. But I'm, I'm interested to look into this more. Husqvarna actually has a version of this as well. But I talked to the Husqvarna guy and he said they're not available in Canada. They just seem to, they work better in the southern hemisphere or further south. I wonder if that accuracy depends on where you live. Yeah. Like, I don't know where satellites go, but apparently for Husqvarna's, it it requires you to be more south right. for the GPS version. So I'm going to have to look into this uh, new Segway one. Segway, you know, remember the Segway scooters uh, they made popular. Uh, and they're, these new ones are coming in around 2500 US, but we'll follow up on that. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about. Open Table, the resura- uh, restaurant reservation app, and also the death of game stores. When's that going to happen? Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Eggerbo here with John Beeler. Uh, it's been an interesting year, John, when it comes to eating out. We're in. Interesting year and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, things are getting better. We're able to get into restaurants for the most part now across uh, the country. And one of the apps that's uh, really helped us uh, make those reservations would be Open Table. I use that all the time myself. And they've got a new feature that we want to chat about today that uh, helps restaurants uh, with verification of vaccination status, which is kind of a hot topic right now. On the line, we've got Matt Davis. Uh, He is Canada's country manager for Open Table. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Uh, tell us uh, about this new verification feature. And for the listeners out there, Open Table is this great app you can go into, search all the restaurants uh, locally, and actually make reservations at certain times uh, for you, your friends and family to go and have a nice meal. Uh, so this verification uh, component now uh, helps the restaurants, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, most people know OpenTable because of exactly what you mentioned, our consumer side, which allows diners to search and book reservations at about 60,000 restaurants around the world. What a lot of people don't realize, though, is that we also provide software to our restaurant partners to manage that demand and streamline the reservation-making process. So obviously, as you mentioned up front, the pandemic's been a really challenging couple of 18 months, couple of years now, uh, and restaurants have been hard hit. And so we've just been trying to build tools that really make life easier for them as they navigate this post-pandemic world. And so what are some of those tools that you're helping them with? As you may be aware, obviously vaccination is a a huge topic right now uh, across Canada, but also in the restaurant industry. And there's been a variety of jurisdictions that have now required or mandated that vaccination passports 
be shown in order to dine in a restaurant. And so unfortunately for restaurants, that means they're now put in a position where they have to uh, verify diners for entry into their restaurants with vaccinations. So we've created a tag that now restaurants can do just that. They can verify a restaurant, verify, sorry, a diner for entry into the restaurant based on their vaccination status and keep that tag on that guest profile so that they then no longer have to check or keep asking should that guest return. And is uh, is it the guest that has to put that information into the app? So at this stage, the the information is held by the guest. We don't hold the information in the app or they don't supply it to the app. What's going to be the process is the, the guest shows up to the restaurant and requests, sorry, the, the restaurant then requests that uh, the diner show that vaccination passport, uh, at which time they will then note that in their reservation system. Got it. So that... That uh, particular diner, say that, for example, was me and I went to the local Cactus Club and if they were using your uh, software, uh, from that point forward afterwards, I would be in their system as vaccinated, which would make it easier for them to make sure that I'm verified every time I come there. Exactly. And the tag is called verified for entry. Uh, So they would then tag you as verified for entry and they no longer then have to keep checking or keep asking for that information. It's It's a... an interesting position for restaurants to be in. And, and in many cases, it's a tough position, especially after all of the other things they've been through. We're just trying to make it easier for them to, to manage this process. It's interesting too, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, once you're kind of verified at that one restaurant, that doesn't mean you're verified at all the restaurants you know, under open table. You have to do that for each different restaurant you go to. That is correct. And we're held to really high and strict privacy standards, including GDPR um, and the Californian standards on, on privacy. And that's one of the reasons why data protection and privacy is so important to us. We're not in a position to hold on to that vaccination information in our system or indeed pass that information between restaurants. So it will be something that diners have to present whenever they show up at a new restaurant. Talking with Matt Davis, he's the man over at Open Table. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, Matt, tell tell the tell them a little bit more about uh, the reasons why they'd want to use Open Table. Great question. Thanks for asking. Open Table is the world's largest online reservation platform. So we see about uh, thirty million diners a month across sixty thousand restaurants around the world, uh, and really for restaurants, it's about streamlining operations, increasing efficiency but it's also about exposing availability they may have to unique and quality diners, new diners. And so that sort of flips to the other side of what we do, which is on the consumer marketplace, which is what we're famous for, the Open Table app and the Open Table website. And that's all about allowing diners the ability to search and book great new restaurant experiences uh, across the world, whether it be around the corner or around the globe. And there's rewards involved as well for, for the, the diners if they, if they use the app. That's exactly right. So we have a, a loyalty program which allows diners to collect points. So if you make a reservation through Open Table and show up for that reservation, you collect 100 points. Once you get 1,000 points over the course of time, you can uh, redeem them for a credit to take into a restaurant and get some money off your meal. Yeah, you know what I like about the app, and I, you know, I'm a big fan. I use it all the time, especially when I'm traveling. Uh, is the fact that uh, it, it's just so easy. You've got all the restaurants in there. You can search by different, uh, uh, you know, 
different types of, of food, you know, Italian or pizza or, you know, what have you. Uh, but I also like the fact if, you know, you've got a group reservation going on, not only do you get the, the reminder and the notification, but you can send that out, uh, you know, to all the people that are going to be with you in the party. Exactly. And, and I guess you hit the nail on the head on one of the things we really always are trying to do for both diners and restaurants is just make that connection easier and more seamless. And so on the diner side, a group booking is a perfect example of how can we really help to make that a more seamless experience. One of those ways is being able to share digitally your reservation information so that everyone has access to it, sees the restaurant, sees the menu, the time, et cetera. Uh, and, and really just have easy access to connect with that restaurant. We've just launched a new feature that is um, becoming incredibly useful for that same purpose and during the pandemic, which is direct messaging. So we've seen that consumers really want instant access to everything today, and that includes restaurants. And so we've launched this tool that allows a diner to, once they've made a booking, direct message to the restaurant, and perhaps you're looking for an answer like, hey, do you have a patio table? And now that restaurant has the simple ability to just write back straight to that message and say, sure, looking forward to having you. So really, we're just trying to close the gap and make connections between diners and restaurants more seamless. I actually just used this the other day for the first time. A friend booked a patio uh, in North Vancouver, and they were late. And I had he had forwarded to me the booking, so I had all the information about what it was, who it was, all that kind of stuff. And I got the perfect table, and then they showed up. It was perfect. Well, it's good. That just streamlines it not only for you. Yeah. You're not like some dunce sitting out wondering what's going well, on. And, and then it makes it easier for the restaurant too, right? Yeah, because, I mean, I knew exactly who the reservation was under, yeah. what time it was for, and everything. And it was just easy. Well, Matt, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, a uh, big fan of, of the app, and, uh, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and uh, happy dining. Thank you. That was Matt Davis from Open Table, uh, a great app available on all the platforms to help uh, make reservations at your favorite restaurant. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. Well, technology and the digital age have changed so many things in our our lives, John. Remember back in the day, we would, uh, for our music, head down to the record store out here in uh, British Columbia and Vancouver specifically, head down to A&B Sound. Or, or Sam the Record Man, too. Sam the Record Man. Yeah, yep. that was big back east, yep. right? Yep. Uh, A&A Records was another one. Well, with the advent of uh, digital music, remember Napster came out and basically started the, the de- decline of the album sales. Apple got into iPods, and then you know everything became MP3s. Well, we're starting to see something similar with video games now. Uh, back just a few years ago, when a new video game came out, you'd go down to your, uh, your GameStop, your EB, Electronic Boutique, and pick up you know, a disc version, depending or, what console you or, had. Or a cartridge. Or a cartridge. Well, they're kind of going the way of the Dodo as well, because everything is digital. To help us understand where the future lies uh, when it comes to those stores, we've got our good friend Victor Lucas. How are you doing, Vic? I'm doing great. I actually used to work at A&A Records. You're bringing back a Get out, did you? Uh, yeah, I loved it. It was a great, great place to work. I was exposed to so many different artists from around the world. And uh, yeah, I think back fondly on those days. And I think back fondly on all the days that I've spent uh, scouring the shelves at video game stores. And, you know, honestly, we've had great partnerships in our years of making TV with great video game stores like EB Games, which is just now rebranded as GameStop Canada. 
and I love video game stores, and I don't want them to go away. But I, is the sad reality they will go away? Like, look at the record stores. I know HMV has tried to hold on. I think they're still out there somehow selling t- mm. T-shirts and, <laughs> and things like that and, and vinyl. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing is the vinyl is sort of making some of these things having a comeback. Yeah, but not enough, right? Like, there's not enough people with record players out I, I, there. I don't know. I don't know. I think nostalgia is pretty well, strong. Back in the day, you could throw a rock and hit an HMV or a record store. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. is it inevitable that the GameStops of the world are going to just die off? Or is there some other thing that they can do to make themselves relevant? Well, I think um, I, what they have done is they've pivoted quite a bit to selling all kinds of ancillary, you know, material, you know, whether they're action figures or t-shirts or stuff. And they needed to do that because I think the last vestiges of, you know, ownership that humans will kind of have will be props from movies and action figures and, you know, the collectibles that we'll put on our shelves. But it is interesting. I mean, we're, we're of a generation where we're going to see people not show off their collections soon. You're going to be going and visiting friends and no one's going to care what they have on their shelves because we all have digital shelves that are endless filled with anything that we want. And video games are a part of that equation for sure. But I think in the, you know, that growing um, sense of these things going away, just like we've seen with the record stores, the boutique record stores kind of start to pop up all over the place and record sales actually have grown over the last several years. I think there's a bigger opportunity in the video game space because video games, uh, I mean, video games were almost born of nostalgia. Video games were a, about things that reminded us about other things. Always. They've always been that. They've been an interactive version of something that we've experienced on a comic book or in a movie screen or a TV show forever. And so there is this ripple effect of bringing people to the medium. Um, and if you can capture that by creating spaces that people actually want to go to, I think you're going to capture lightning in a bottle. I think people are going to really, really go for that. And part of it is it's definitely the move towards, you know, um, these streaming subscription-based services, like what Stadia is offering and what uh, Game Pass is offering on Xbox and stuff. But the other side of it is that a lot of games that get made today that cost $250 million to make from some of these big companies, they don't end. You know, they are just eternal. And I don't know if every person wants to spend all of their time in one game. I think that there is a a huge market for people that want to experience games the way that they remember them on Nintendo systems and Sega systems and stuff. And you can see like there's a huge amount of YouTube retro content out there and there's massive sales happening around collector uh, cartridges and things like that. But I think in that, discussion is an appetite that can be served and what boggles my mind is you know GameStop has these this footprint across North America and and the world and they have these communities that they're already in so why not tap into the retro space in a much bigger way work with some of these purveyors of retro type content and encourage I mean it's not the easiest thing to do during a pandemic but encourage your your neighborhoods and and the people in your communities to come in and appreciate and enjoy games the way that we used to when we we'd hook it up to a CRT television set with plug-in cartridges and stuff and I, I honestly think they'll be able to tap into um 
a very, very lucrative market. But it has to be handled correctly. But what are they selling to make the money? Because retail space is expensive, as we all know. Well, what they should be doing is they should be getting into the publishing of classic stuff because that's happening right now. There are vendors out there that are building cartridges for classic systems and they're making physical copies of games that are only available digitally. GameStop should be in that business. They shouldn't let other smaller and, and other major video game retailers out there. They shouldn't let other smaller businesses claim that spot as their attraction to people to come into their stores is disappearing. They should move into that space, own it in a bigger way. And then the other thing that we're seeing, and I I think John knows about these things, there's some great companies out there like Analog who make um, uh, uh, what is it? RFPGA? I can never remember. FPGA, uh, which is like the uh, legitimate chip that uh, you know, it's re- reconstruction of the chips that would go into the classic Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis or the Nintendo Entertainment System. They make new machines that plug in through HDMI on a television set that will accept your cartridge library. Yeah. GameStop should be buying companies like that, selling consoles like that, publishing classic libraries and offering these games to consumers uh, on a, you know, an ownership kind of basis they should lean into the fact that people still want to own stuff yeah but you have to make stuff that people will come to the stores for one of my fondest memories growing up as a kid up north because we didn't have a store uh we didn't even have sears and sears was you know when i was growing up was one of the main places you would get your atari cartridges from and i'd have to order it from the catalog i'm like i want the new whatever and it would come and it was like christmas every time that package would arrive Right. And, and I cherish that game. I'm a, more of a serial gamer. Like I need to do one game all the way through and then I go on to the right. next one. And I right. kind of wonder if kind of like with Netflix, you have this infinite buffet of streaming game services. So you can just jump into any game you want. If that yeah. changes the kind of enjoyment for people like me, because it's so easy to get, Oh, squirrel, another game over here, as opposed to yeah. like, I've invested my, you know, my payday extra fun money in this game cartridges, and I'm going to spend the weekend just having a lot of fun with it. I, I'm going to be the poop here and say that in 10 years, there will be no more GameStops. I, I mean, I think that the writing's on the wall with that. I think that, you know, it's, it's not hard to predict that there is going to be an absence of physical locations to go and walk in and grab video games in and, and the video game industry itself is actively pushing forward <laughs> to make that happen. I mean, game game pass has 25 million subscribers or something right now. It's a massive success for Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo will eventually have to respond to that too. Um, but there is an opportunity that is deeply tied into nostalgia, uh, but also collectability and simplicity um, for brave retailers out there. And I don't know if it's at the level or scale of GameStop, but there is absolutely an opportunity. We've been talking with Victor Lucas about the future of video game stores. Who knows what will happen in the next five to 10 years, but uh, change is in the air. Thanks for joining us, Victor. My pleasure. Always great to be here, you guys. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the program. Mike and John here. You know, over the past six months, we've heard a lot about NFTs. Maybe it's not as big in the news right now, but it's still a big thing. NFT standing for non-fungible tokens. It's a way for, I think, a lot of artists to actually monetize 
they're digital art. Yes. You can monetize like paintings, like yep. old fashioned paintings, so to speak, but it's been hard for digital artists to do that. Yeah. Well, it, it's a complex process. And especially if you're not a technical person, it can be kind of daunting. Well, we've got an interesting guest on the line. His name is Shlomo Rabinowitz. He's out of Portland, Oregon, and uh, he's a, an artist enabler. He is a NFT enthusiast and an all-around nice guy. And uh, <laughs> Shlomo, I wanted to get you on the show just to kind of talk about uh, the state of NFTs now. We heard a lot about it, you know, a few months ago. Is it is it dying down? Is this still a thing? It's absolutely a thing. It's just mutating like the internet does, right? So before, I think a lot of people were, were thinking it was just about this image, where honestly, for those of us who've been in it's never been just about the image, right? There are certain ones that are, and others are packages of goods, like physical goods, concert tickets. Uh, your NFT could be your entry into elite organizations, right? Like, if, if there was a modern skull and bones, they would probably have their entry key as an NFT as their own coin on the blockchain, right? Their, you know, the skull and bones coin or whatever you would call it. And then that coin would be the thing that they would use in their community for goods, right? Like you couldn't buy a drink in skull and bones without a skull and bones coin, right? So that brings value to their own community, right? The more worth you do. So it's really not so much about selling an image, but joining into into a group, much like a group is a person, a group of folks who have Prada bags, very expensive handbags. That is, my, that can be an NFT group, right? Those who have the the very expensive profile pictures, like the Board Ape Yacht Club ones that you've probably been seeing in the news, right? That that like famous people and uh, sports stars are all buying for basically 300 grand a piece. <laughs> That's a Prada bag. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, who's buying these things? People with money. Yeah, well, <laughs> clearly with $300,000. I mean, so there's a lot of different types of NFTs. When we talk about like those expensive board ape ones, right. And all the other ones, like we're doing one also, those are what's called profile picture NFTs. So think about that. Everything about your profile in the social network is basically the same reason why you carry a product bag. You, you virtue signal your, your wealth, your status. So just by putting a board ape in your Twitter handle shows that you own something that costs basically the price of a house, but it's, you're literally don't care enough about it. It's just your profile picture, right? So you're putting yourself into this group that owns a thing right before it was those who owned the early model Teslas, right? Not everyone could get one. Yeah. Mike has a Tesla. Opened, what? Well, Say that again? well, I got a Tesla, but <laughs> can I make an NFT out of it? <laughs> um, no, maybe. I mean, you could sell it as an NFT, right? There's our, you don't necessarily need that. Let's use the Tesla model. Like you already have papers that show that it's actually a Tesla. Yes. You have papers that show that it's warranty is still with Tesla. So that's value, right? Yeah. So now you could sell that, but not everything else has that sort of paperwork or providence, as they say in the art world, yeah. world right? Providence is the big thing in the art world where basically if you hand me that Rothko, you better show how it came from his studio to your hands and everything in between, right? That's the providence of owning an art. Now that providence is a ledger, so we could all see 
who who has paid for what and how it's moving. Th- that's right? the that's the thing that I took away from NFTs when they first came out is the fact it has this record of ownership or transfership and, and existence even, and existence, and it also gives the original creator potentially in the contract the ability to continually make money from those transfers, where normally an artist wouldn't be able to get rewards from a high value sale 10 times after it's been you know bought from them their studio for example that's a great thing to say because you know like i I say we're all still learning the rules and trying to make something great out of it and but we're all still learning what's interesting right yeah one thing we're doing with our profile picture nft there's a big revenue share model like we already have about a hundred uh ethereum on the secondary market traded that just started over the last week, we've already traded 100 Ethereum over the last week in secondary markets. Now those people who already have those items of ours are getting kickbacks already. So I did the math, at least in Canadian dollars, that's about 4,500 $4, dollars uh, times. No, well, no, sorry. Um, yeah, an Ethereum is worth about $4,500. That's $450,000 Canadian. Roughly. Roughly. Yes. Just under. And we picked up in a week. Yeah. And that we are channeling down parts of it to our holders. In other words, to help this ecosystem of both holding and selling. I want $400,000, Shlomo. How do I do that? Where do I? I, I mean, I, this is not called Shlomo NFT. It's called uh, <laughs> Broadcasters NFT. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Shlomo uh, Rabinowitz, uh, an NFT enthusiast, artist, uh, enabler. Uh, where can people find out more about the project you're working on right now? Um, you could find Google Broadcasters NFT or Twitter Broadcasters NFT on Twitter. You'll see a link to our Discord. All night, but just give us a search on Google, nice and easy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and John here. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. There, you will find all sorts of great tech advice, videos, blogs. We've got our podcasts up there as well of the radio show. So not only our show, Get Connected, but also our sister show, The App Show, which you can hear across the Chorus Radio Network every Sunday, Saturday nights uh, in uh, Toronto. What do we got coming up uh, on The App Show tomorrow, John, if you can just uh, pop that up? We've we've got a couple interesting segments. This is important. Uh, A lot of provinces are rolling out vaccine passports. It's happening in... British Columbia as well. So we're going to talk about what to do and some easy ways to even get that vaccine passport into your Apple wallet, which is important because if you've tried to get this thing online, it's not the easiest thing in the world. No. So we're going to try to make it easier and uh, show you how you can make it super easy by getting into the uh, the Apple wallet. We also are going to be talking with uh, a researcher that has come up with an app that can tell when you cough into your smartphone with the app loaded, whether you have COVID or not. That's crazy, eh? It's fascinating. And uh, we will also talk about John's next do-it-yourself project. He's making his own phone. He's building his own phone. So we're going to tell you how you can do that. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together. Of course, John uh, Beeler, my co-host and producer, and Christina Stoyanova, our uh, producer at large. We'll see you again next time.